This is a White Ridge Baptist podcast. On behalf of uh, Pat and Emily and Tori, Joel and Jonathan, I want to thank you from the Jank household for the cards and gifts and expressions of love and, and uh, uh, Christmas. Thank you so much, and it's been a joy to have the children home this Christmas and uh, enjoy the time together. I know some of you are having that as well. And uh, may the Lord bless you and your homes on this day, on this day. I'd like us to take some time to pray, and particularly as I begin to pray for some of the things that are going on in this world that we might be able to intercede on. And so I'd ask you to bow now and let's pray together. I'd like to begin in our prayer with uh, the words of that poem or song that Henry Wadsworth Longfellow wrote during the American Civil War. I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play, and wild and sweet the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And in despair I bowed my head, there is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep, God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail, with peace on earth, goodwill to men. <clears throat> Father, on this day as we gather in this place in absolute peace and freedom, with no thought of opposition to our gathering, no thought of a group of people trying to gun us down or kidnap us or whatever the case may be. Lord, we, we come acknowledging that there are many, many people in this world that live in fear. And uh, today we pause just now to remember them. Lord, we think of the unrest in Syria, in Iraq. Lord, we think of that area and how many people that are still crossing waters that are treacherous, dying. We think of the many people fleeing countries that they've called home since their birth. We think of homes that are being destroyed. Lord God, we think of the difficulties that face so many people in places that poverty rules like a prison, inescapable, where disease that we would consider easily remedied is still taking lives, where it's not safe to be a child, Lord, we pray for these places. Various ones come to mind. And we ask you, Lord, to send your spirit there, to bring your comfort. And Lord, where your people are there, may your church be strong. May your church be standing up and, and active in seeking mercy and justice and walking humbly with you. So, Father, would you help this day to provide some reprieve for many that are walking in isolation, in fear, in darkness. Thank you, God, for your Son, Jesus, our Savior. We focus our gaze upon him. We believe that even though all things on earth can look so very contrary at times, we know that, God, you are bringing all of history to a final culmination we do not know, O oh God, that even if this coming year is the year of your return, 
Jesus, we put our hope completely in you, the God who is present, the God who was and is and is evermore to be. Lord, we thank you for who you are. We pray that our lives might reflect that we value things of you more than we value even our own lives. And we thank you for all the things that you've given us. We thank you for all the things that we've opened this morning in gifts. We thank you for those that we've opened them with and those that we miss at this time of the year. But most of all, Jesus, we thank you for you. You are the most precious gift. May we learn to prize you more and praise you more in the coming year that our hearts might truly put the true value on the things that we experience. Would you open our hearts now, God, as we prepare to receive your word, speak to us today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 1? Matthew chapter 1. And this morning, as um, we look at the Scriptures, we're going to follow a little bit more of the Christmas story from Joseph's perspective, like we did uh, a couple of weeks ago. We began to do that, and so this morning we're going to continue his journey of faith. Matthew chapter 1, we're going to begin in verse 18, and if you'll stand with me, if you're able to, join me now. Matthew 1, beginning in verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. And because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph awoke, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, he took Mary home as his wife, but he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. And God bless his word. You may be seated. A couple of weeks ago, I asked the question, why is it that the angel of the Lord was not sent by God to Joseph at the same time that he was sent to Mary? But rather, instead, as we've just read... What happened was that Mary was found to be with child, and then we don't know whether it was days later that the same angel came to visit Joseph and then told Joseph that what is conceived in Mary is from God, and this is the Messiah child, Jesus, the Savior. And so there was this few days of sweating and toiling and wondering. As a righteous man in that culture and in that time, it meant that he had to divest himself of, he had to divorce her quietly somehow. He wanted to do it quietly because he wasn't just a righteous man, he was a merciful and compassionate man. 
And as he was stewing and pondering what to do about this and coming to the decision, then after that it says that the angel came to him and said, no, Joseph, this is of God. And so in obedience, he obeyed God and he took Mary as his wife, continued with the plan, and was, became the earthly father of Jesus, a child not his own. Wonder why that young couple had to go through, it, through such an awkward conversation. Wonder why he had to go through that until all of the light of revelation was given him to make the right decision in the end. Well, it's interesting. And this morning, I'd like to continue on the story and look at the next big decisions that also Joseph had to make that were difficult ones. Let's take a look at the scriptures together. In, in Matthew, we continue on. The next big decision for Joseph came a few months later. And again, a harmonizing of Matthew's and Luke's accounts shows us that the next big decision didn't happen until it was announced throughout the entire Roman world that Herod wanted to have a census taken. And so it was going to be a census of the entire Roman world. Sorry, Caesar Augustus called for it. And everyone had to return to their ancestral city or town or village to be registered. And so this peasant population of Nazareth way up north, where the hillbillies lived, even they were subject to this kind of taxation. And so everyone who was from that area had to go back to their own cities. Now Joseph was a descendant of David. He was of the tribe of Judah. And Bethlehem was David's hometown, so Joseph had to return to Bethlehem to register for the census. He had no choice about it. He had to, by law, return to Bethlehem. He did not have a choice about whether to go or not, but he did have a choice about whether Mary needed to go with him or not, and whether she and the child would be registered in Bethlehem as his wife and child. Now, this was... Uh, inconvenience to leave work, to tra incur travel expenses, but to take a woman who is in her third trimester on a 100-mile journey, that was more than just inconvenient. That was risky. That was dangerous. And it was putting on himself, taking upon himself the responsibility for this brand new little family that he had no idea he was going to be a part of so very soon. Now, we don't know, but perhaps what clinched it for Joseph was understanding an ancient prophecy. It was from Micah chapter 5, verse 2, written hundreds of years before Joseph lived, where it says, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Now, I don't know, but I think perhaps that when Joseph put together the words of this angelic vision that he had in the dream, when he put that together, that this is no ordinary child that Mary is carrying, with the prophecy of Micah 5 that he would have been familiar with, I wonder if he put it together and said, no, this child has to come out of Bethlehem, and Mary is going with me. We don't know. But I think that perhaps Joseph knew that this census was not just the fulfillment of a greedy emperor, but the fulfillment of a God-given prophecy. And so one decision led to the next decision, and so on and so forth. It carried on, as you know. Sometimes that's the way life is. 
you can think back in your life of how maybe one decision led to several other decisions that you had to make. Surely, there were several little decisions in that few days of travel between Nazareth and Bethlehem. It would have been almost straight south, and it had to go right through Jerusalem to this little town called Bethlehem. We don't know what kind of decisions were along the way, but I want to just ask you this morning to put yourself in Joseph's sandals for a moment. I think that he would have been thinking something like this. Well, God sent an angel to Mary to tell her that she would conceive by the Holy Spirit and give birth to the Messiah. And then a few days later, he sent me an angel so that I would take her to be my wife. I would not be afraid. And then he, he arranged for Caesar Augustus, the emperor of Rome, to call for a census and force us to return to our villages of ancestry at the very days of Mary's pregnancy. And surely if God planned all of this so sovereignly, he must have a plan as to where we're going to stay when we arrive in Bethlehem. I, wouldn't you think that way? I mean, God, if you did all of this, it's not too hard to do that. That's the way we think, from the, the greater to the lesser. The scriptures argue that way. If God did not spare his own son, but freely gave him up for us all, how much more will he not freely give you all things for the Holy Spirit to have? It's the, it's the greater argument to the lesser. I think that's what's going on here. I think Joseph would have been thinking, Mary, Beth, Mary, don't worry. We're going to have this incredible birthing center in Bethlehem. I mean, this is going to be no problem. We'll go to the inn. I have relatives there. It wasn't that way, was it? They arrived in what was normally a sleepy little village. It was humming with activity. The one major formal inn was packed out. Every space was used and most of the homes also had no vacancy because everybody was full with relatives and friends. And so I wonder what was going on with Joseph in that time. I can imagine the panic, the disbelief, maybe the shame that he was feeling as he saw that it wasn't going to work out. No vacancy signs everywhere. How could it be? Surely God would provide for Mary and Joseph on this difficult assignment that he sent them on. Surely God would provide a place for his only son to be born. The only place available was a stable. The animals were kept there. Perhaps at this point, Joseph was confused about God's ways. We don't know if his thoughts were like I described or not. But if they were, they weren't for long because the, the pains were intensifying and the labor was becoming more frequent as Mary was getting close to birthing her firstborn. And I wonder if Joseph was alone that night. You know, in that culture, men were not involved in any way in the birthing process. And yet there was Joseph and Mary in a cave, possibly, or a stable that was kept for, for animals. I wonder what kind of night Joseph had that evening. We don't know. Last night, as we shared in the Christmas Eve service, 
I could not help but ponder, and as I went home, the, the thing that landed on me the most last night was this incredible message of what the gospel really is all about, the good news of Christ. And it, it came out in some of the readings that we had last night at our Christmas Eve service. It came out in the testimony that Pat shared about, about wanting to find God and, and realizing there was nothing she could do to make it happen, to be good enough for God. And it came out when I pondered about how, how it was that our hearts are really like the stable and that the real gospel message, the, the Christian message of the Bible is not you get that stable in the best condition you can because the king of glory wants to be born there tonight. Joseph and Mary could have worked four or five days on that stable and it still would have been a stinky stable that was fit for animals alone on human terms. And it was not Joseph and Mary arriving at that stable that made it somehow fit for Jesus. It was the presence of Jesus that made it into a special place. And similarly, that's our hearts, friends. What makes the gospel really the gospel, the good news, is that, that you and I can try to clean up our hearts the best way we can, and we're still not fit to receive the King of glory. And that the message of Jesus is that we receive him and he cleans it up. And he changes the condition. And he makes a stable, a crude, smelly, ugly heart that's darkened by sin into a glorious place where the king of glory lives and radiates out so that we also can be lights in this dark world. That, that's the message that impacted me last night. The, the, the gospel never gets old. And so Jesus is born in this humble condition, in this place, so crude. And it again is to fulfill the prophecy of Scripture that, that he would be born into these humble places, making himself nothing, being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself even to the point of death later on. And it was the first visitors that reminded us that, that he was for all of humanity, the, the humble shepherds. You see, he was born into a place that was absolutely accessible to shepherds. They didn't mind the smell. They didn't mind anything in that stable. And they came to worship the king of glory. And then later on, the wise men who came from the Far East, who were wealthy, who had, who had wisdom, who had followed this star... They also walked into this incredible crude place and bowed down and worshipped and gave gifts. From one extreme spectrum of society to the other, God says, I'm your king. Follow me. That's the message of Christmas. In Luke chapter 2, it says in the scripture that after this time of purification, according to the law, had been completed, it was 40 days, the, the young couple took their newborn child down to Jerusalem. It was six miles away from Bethlehem. And there they presented him to the priests at Jerusalem, just as Jewish custom would ask them to. And they had to offer either a lamb or a pair of pigeons or doves. 
And while they're there in the temple, God has prepared two elderly saints to bless the child. The first one is Simeon. Simeon is an old, old man that he didn't even think he'd live long enough to see the Christ child, but God had promised them he, that he would. And then when he takes the child into his arms and looks up to heaven, he says those famous words, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Next comes along an elderly woman, Anna her name is. She also a very devout woman who went to the temple every day, fasted and prayed and waited to see what God was doing in those days. She walked right up to Joseph and Mary and she started to prophesy over the child and said, you are the one who will redeem your people Israel. Joseph and Mary just marveled at these things. And when they had finished doing what they had to do in Jerusalem, they returned not to Bethlehem, the scriptures tell us, but to Nazareth, Joseph's hometown. Now somewhere in these sequence of events, we're not exactly sure, but somewhere in these sequence of events, another unforeseen crisis occurred to this little family led by Joseph. In Matthew chapter 2, verse 13, we read that when the wise men had left this little family, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph, again a, to Joseph in a dream, and he said, get up, take the child and take his mother, escape to Egypt, stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. And so Joseph got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and they left for Egypt. And we're reading the scriptures in chapter 2, verses 16 to 18 that the slaughter of male children caused a weeping like never before in that little, little place called Bethlehem. All male children two years and under were killed. It would have meant at least dozens of children, maybe into the hundreds, but certainly dozens of children. Again, fulfilling this incredible prophecy from Jeremiah chapter 31. God guided Joseph to protect his family. We don't know how long they were in Egypt, but again in chapter 2, verse 19, quickly the scripture tells us that after Herod had died, an angel of the Lord again appeared to Joseph in a dream. Very active dream life this man had. I don't know if you're counting, but there's three so far. And he goes back, and he's heading back to Bethlehem, but then an angel of the of the Lord appears again in a dream and says, no, go to Nazareth, for Herod's son is still on the throne. So that's four, four angelic visitations. And that's just the ones that the scriptures tell us about. What do we learn from this? We learn that, that God was so very careful to guide this little family. God was so earnest about providing and protecting and guiding, and he led them through these early years as Joseph and Mary sought to parent the infant Christ. Let me read to you what an author by the name of John Bloom says we learned from Joseph in studying these early years. And maybe you can identify with this. One thing Joseph learned very quickly after God had drafted him to be the earthly father of Jesus was that his own plans were not a thing to be grasped. Whatever future he had originally imagined for himself and Mary it evaporated in the heat of a reality that was being determined by another. Interesting, huh? 
Put your dreams in place. Have your vision of what you're going to be like in the future and your family and your, and your children and your, your career and all that stuff. But recognize that you are like Joseph. You are relinquishing that into the hands of another that is sovereign. He goes on to say, And as Joseph followed the path of faith, he repeatedly found it to take him into very unpredictable places and turns. Listen to them in a list. A Roman census, a grueling trip during the hardest part of Mary's pregnancy, a birth in a barn, no steady income, an assassination attempt, two desert crossings on foot with an infant child, living in a foreign country, having to wait on God for last-minute guidance and provision. The path was difficult, dangerous, expensive, time-consuming, and rather career-delaying for Joseph. And it was all God's will. It was all God's will. What does it say to us? Whether we see it as clearly in the moment right now or not, we are also on a journey of faith. And like Joseph, one decision leads to another and to another. And there is no question that God will lead each one of us to paths we have not planned, detours we did not foresee, and destinations we had no desire of arriving at. Some of the paths and detours and destinations we will conclude are wonderful surprises beyond our wildest imagination. And some of them will be difficult places that we would not wish for. So in summary, what are some of the lessons that we've learned from Joseph in the early years of him parenting as an earthly father this incredible, wonderful child Jesus? Number one, I want to say that God will give us enough light for the path Enough light for the faith decisions that we need to make in His time and in His way. He won't give you all the light for lots of steps down the path, but He will give you enough light for the next step that you need to make. Faith is not stepping into the darkness. Faith is stepping into the light, God leading you into the light. We don't understand why we have to wait so long for some of the light to fall on the path about the decisions that we need to make and the circumstances that come our way, I think it is primarily about God building the muscle of our faith. Because if there's anything that God is concerned about in the whatever years you have on this planet, it is that you would learn to not just trust in yourself, but that you would learn to trust in the loving and all-powerful hand of God. If you look back, a year or so, you can see that some of the things that were out of your control by God's design turned out to actually be for your good. Though it might not be advantageous, you may think, it may not look like something good, you can conclude in after fact, God was in control. And you wouldn't have gone there volitionally if God would have asked you to. And so he took you there because you had to go there for something deeper, longer, eternal to happen in your life. So God will give us enough light for the faith decisions we need to make in his time and in his way. Secondly, God will often lead us into hard places, unknown places, and places that we would not have chosen for ourselves. 
I found it very interesting. I, I don't know about you. If you were here, here last week with us, you would have heard five, six, eight people share, seven people share about the India experience. Now, I don't know if you were listening carefully, but there was what happened there. There were some people sharing that wanted to go to India, and God said, no, you're not going. And there were other people that did not want to go to India, and God said, you're going. Now, like, like you, I find that just amazing. And God working in both of their hearts not to cause some chafing, rebellious attitude, but rather an incredible submission of knowledge to know, yeah, I'm not meant to go. Okay, I'm meant to go. That was incredible. I think that's what God does. It, it, it made me conclude that there is no spiritual place. India was not spirit, more spiritual for the team that went. And staying here in Winnipeg was not more spiritual for those that stayed to pray, for those that went. You see, being spiritual is all about just being in the will of God for your life, whether it's to go or to stay or whatever. A third thing I want to say is that God will always provide for us wherever and whenever he calls us, but the provision may come from very unexpected places. I don't know if you've had the experience of this. I think it is a sad situation if you've lived the kind of life where you've always had to and always provided for yourself with never a cause for you to have need that God provided from somewhere else. I think it doesn't lead as easily to a depth of faith. To have to just trust God with something that is beyond your control. I'm not thinking just in monetary things now. Surely Joseph was flying by the seat of his pants. He did not know how he could provide for his little family, how he could protect them, how he could lead his family, but he saw God directly intervene, how God protected, provided, and led. Surely the gold, frankincense, and myrrh had, had that written all over it. Can you imagine Joseph's eyes, you know, living in a stable, perhaps a little house by that time in Bethlehem, and all of a sudden, I think Joseph's eyes went like that when he saw the wise men bring out of their satchels gold, frankincense, and myrrh. All of a sudden, Joseph knew God was providing for the flight to Egypt and for the living as a refugee family in a foreign country and for all the things that had to be done in the coming days. And so... Similarly, we as a church family, I think, we didn't know a year ago, we did not know a year ago if God was going to provide through his people and other means whatever it was that he had plans for us to do to build another building perhaps. We did not know that God was going to lead us as a church family to pledge over $3 million. I certainly didn't have that faith a year ago. And we don't know what next year is going to bring, do we? We don't know how the remainder of that need, that, that gap that exists, that need for that building to become a reality, we don't know how God is going to provide. I think that's exciting. I think that's okay. 
I think that's going to increase the muscle of our faith and our unity together that we've stepped into this together and we're going to step out of it together by God's grace. And I think God's going to show some unexpected places, some unexpected answers to prayer as we seek Him. And on a very personal level, too, I think each one of us, if we are attentive with the eyes of faith, God could show us some incredible answers to prayer in the coming year. And so as we conclude in this Christmas day, as we think about how God led Joseph to lead his family in those early years of their lives, what will you take home to live by in the coming year in 2017? What truth will you meditate on as you arm yourself for all of the uncertainties that 2017 will bring you? What will God lead us into that will strengthen the muscle of our faith? How will God provide and where will the provision come from? May the Lord receive the glory with each step of faith that he asks us to take. May we be found faithful to be attentive to what he asks us to do. May we also be found faithful to choose to follow him when he asks us to go. And if he chooses that 2017 would be, would be the year that he returns, may we be found faithfully following in his steps. Let's pray. Father God, as we think about Joseph today, we realize that though he doesn't get a lot of airtime at Christmas, we see that he was a righteous man and that in those early years of being responsible for this family, he sought to be obedient to you, and you were so faithful to guide him. And Lord, we, we, we want to be faithful as well. We want to listen to the dreams you send, the angels you send, the providential circumstances you send, whatever way you provide light for the path. As we study your word and as we pray it up to you, God, we pray that you would lead us in the coming year. We pray for us as a church family that we will grow to be kingdom-taking people that will, will spread the seed of your word into this place and see more people come to Christ. We pray that as individual homes and families that we will be individuals that live by faith and not by sight. We pray that you'd be honored to be, for us to be called your people. Bless us. Thank you for this Christmas day. Be, be honored today in our midst. In Jesus' name.